You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Oh, today is a day. Figured I'd start these out with inspirational quotes from now on. That's your first one. You're welcome. We are going to um, finally finish up that giant pile of news looking at the Lions, which I've been saying for uh, two days. And I promise you it will be as anticlimactic as you are fully expecting it to be after two days of build-up, because there's not actually that much going on, but uh, we'll, we'll finally get to it. There's one additional bit of news, and then after that, we're going to have to turn to questions and whatnot, because, um, I don't know, I got so used to this pipeline of news being so full, I got up today and I was like, wow, looks like we're caught up, and I don't really have a full episode planned, I guess. <laughs> Start getting lazy, man. When times are good, people get soft. And I, well, I'm not going to say that sentence, but I woke up today not as prepared as I should have been, and I apologize, but I will make up for it by improvising so good. Man, going to wish I didn't improvise so good. Tell you what, overtired and overcaffeinated smashing into each other at roughly 345, it's a wild ride, man. But if you uh, want to, I don't know, come along for this ride, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. That's a pretty wild ride. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. Not doing much with it, but boy, oh boy, when I do, you're going to wish you liked the page. And a special thank you to Scott and Ryan for your support on Patreon. I went in for an accent and then just, just pulled right out of it. Top Gun style, man. I just just bailed. I asked for feedback in the Facebook group on what we should do for a giveaway for March. And for the most part, everyone took that time to go ahead and mock me and make fun of my question. So you will get nothing. That's not true. We're doing a giveaway, but I will make sure it is the worst ever. But if anybody would like to give me a serious suggestion, although some of them were, albeit unrealistic, feel free to jump in the Facebook group and let me know because March is rapidly approaching. I also got to figure out what the next goal is going to be. I'll probably set the bar kind of low because I expect this to taper off very soon. But as a reminder, we are doing a giveaway and said giveaway is going to be one donor will be selected. doesn't have to be a Patreon donor. Some people give in other ways like Venmo and whatnot. But one person who has given this month will be selected. You will tell me what kind of a Packer shirt you want designed. I'm going to go out and have it designed for you, have it sent to your home or a different location if you're into that kind of stuff. Maybe you got a P.O. box. I don't know, I don't know how you operate. But then we'll, uh, we'll throw that bad boy up in the store. I think it's a good giveaway. I don't know. If you want to get involved... Patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy, or like I said, if you just want to support the show, that'd be a great way to do it. And if you just want to up your chances of winning, you can always up your pledge. I'm just saying, $1 to $2, whatever. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and slip in a break, and we'll start uh, cleaning up this board, talking about some news and notes and whatnot. This spring, follow your favorite baseball teams to Arizona for the Cactus League Spring Training. Amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, incredible food. Arizona is the perfect home base for baseball fans. You get to stalk your favorite baseball teams down to Arizona. 
10 different stadiums, 15 different teams, 75 degree weather within 50 miles of Phoenix. It's a lot of numbers. They're all glorious numbers. Let me give you another number. Seven. Moving on. Arizona is known for its incredible landscapes and thrilling outdoor adventures. You can hit the road, explore Arizona's urban centers, ghost towns, artsy communities, and quirky outposts. They got hiking, they got biking, they got jeep tours, hot air balloons, skydiving, jet skiing. Or you can just kick back and take in a sunset. No matter what you love to do, Arizona's got you covered. So why don't you plan your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So anyways, about those Detroit Lions. Apparently, there's a little bit of sense in Detroit, and they're considering keeping Darius Slay. Now, let me just say this. I've been talking about how it's unnecessary for him to get rid of Slay, but there's kind of two sides to this. I've always said Slay was a bit overrated. Slay also had one of his worst seasons ever this past year. Now, I think in general the team just kind of wasn't great, but it would be sort of a, let's call it a Packers thing to do, a Ted Thompson, Brian Gutekunst thing to do, to cut a guy like Slay if the consensus is he's kind of on the downswing. Let's see if we can just let's just dump them, let somebody else pay a ton of money for them, and we'll move on. I'm I'm just looking at it, if I'm a Lions fan, and we're about to bring on a guy like, let's say, Okuda, who is considered, I haven't done cornerbacks yet, but not even really close. He's wildly considered to be the top cornerback prospect. Nobody that I've seen has complained about him going number three, which is pretty wild, because I remember guys like Marshawn Lattimore being very, very good. He went like 12th or something. That was a really deep corner. Maybe it was earlier than that, but it was a really strong cornerback class. And when when did he? I got to verify this. Yeah, he went 11. So this was supposed to be a really, really strong class. And Lattimore, along with like Marlon Humphrey and Tredavious White and Kevin King and my guy Tease Tabor, just complete garbage. Lots of guys. And Lattimore went 11. And Okuda is, again, probably going three. And nobody seems to mind that too much. And so I, I guess the thing that would annoy me uh, just coming at it from if I was a Lions fan perspective is we're taking two steps forward, one step back by getting rid of Slay when we have the opportunity to get two really good corners or, you know, even if Slay isn't quite as good as he was, to have Darius Slay as my number two corner, we're trying to build something here. I want to have a really good team. And even if we're saying, okay, we know Okuda is going to give us a bump, which we don't because there's no guarantees anywhere, even for a number one overall. There's no guarantee Chase Young is going to be that good. You never really know. I mean, it's like a 90% chance, but 
That stuff goes wrong all the time. Now, from my perspective, absolutely get rid of the guy. Again, I think he's somewhat overrated, but it, it's similar to my thought on drafting an, an offensive tackle and getting rid of Balaga. It's it's something that you could consider as a prudent move. I don't necessarily think it is, but at some point, I mean, Balaga isn't the answer forever. At some point, you have to have a different answer. Ideally, you draft a really good tackle and then you replace him down the road. But you know, let, let's just say in a perfect world, we decide we're going to not bring back Balaga. We draft somebody and we are 100% certain that he's going to be not just as good, but a little bit better than Balaga. That's awesome. But at the same time, we used a first round pick just to stay even. Again, it's, it's what you have to do sometimes, but it just is like, oh, come on, man. I want to add to the team. So it's just, it's just frustrating. And that's kind of where I've been coming from with Darius Slay. But to give you some perspective of what I'm talking about, like I said, Slay has always been great. He's never been elite. Like the, he gets a ton of credit for being better than he is. The highest PFF grade he's ever got gotten was an 80.6. He had two years where he was in the 80s, 80.4 and 80.6 in 2016 and 2017. He's been relatively consistent from 2014 to 2018. He had a bad rookie year, but then in order, it went 70, 78, 80, 80, 75. This year, 56. Now, if we're just looking at statistics, you look at, for example, uh, passer rating when targeted, which, I mean, if you're not looking at... I, I prefer grades because grades are somebody actually watching him saying, did he do a good job? Passer rating has a lot of stuff that goes into that. If, for example, and we see this all the time, I see this in highlight reels, and it's like, why is this a highlight? A quarterback will throw a pass, it'll get tipped at the line of scrimmage, and the corner, who got completely burned and is out of position, gets a pick because the ball ends up going way behind the wide receiver, which happens to be where the cornerback is. You did a horrible job, but got a pick. That has nothing to do with your skill level. Now, errant passes. Somebody throws at you, and the ball's too high. You get credit for that. You shouldn't. You didn't do anything. The quarterback made a mistake. So every time the quarterback or the wide receiver make a mistake, you get credit for it. So there's built-in issues with that. But if you're just looking at uh, NFL passer rating, he's always been pretty solid. The only time he was ever over 100 was his rookie season. Since then, 79, 93, 97, 55, 80, 86.9 this past year. So it is a little bit of a tick higher, but not too bad. Overall on the season, um, 84 targets, 49 receptions for 689 yards. He gave up three touchdowns, had two picks, and eight pass breakups. He had two games in which he gave up over 100 yards. One of them was to Minnesota. One of them was to Green Bay. So again, I I don't really know, and especially from the Lions' perspective, considering they're trying to, I would assume you're trying to build. Again, unless you just think he's completely fallen off and there's not any bit of a rebound coming this year, then I guess fine, get rid of him. I mean, I'm not going to cry about it because on one hand, we're going to have Jeffrey Okuda, maybe, going up against uh, Devontae Adams, and if we end up upgrading anyone at wide receiver, it'd be nice for him to not have to go up against Darius Slay. Now, again, this is this is a positive, positive situation. On one hand, if they get rid of him, it's like, all right, good, Slay's gone. So they're back to having one corner, maybe two if that Coleman guy or whatever in the slot picks up his game. But on the other hand, if they say, all right, let's bring him back, they're about to sign a guy who's almost 30 years old to, according to Track, they estimate his value to be around $15 million a year. I mean... That's going to hurt. And he is, regardless, he's on the downswing. Even if he rebounds, it's not like he's going to hit the prime of his career at 30. As good as we've seen him is as good as it's going to get for him. So again, it's one of those things where either way, it's it's a good thing. If he's gone, it's ha-ha, you're continuing to fall apart. And again, then they save the $15 million, which is nice for them. But on the other hand, what are they going to do with it? 
They haven't proven that they have the ability to go out in free agency and make a real big impact. Everybody that they've signed in free agency, guess what? They're not getting re-signed. Snacks Harrison is already just about out the door. Not because he's bad, but the guy's like, dude, I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm, this is garbage. I'm out of here. <laughs> but, you know, signing him is not really going to be a problem. In fact, I'm not... The only reason they would be hesitant is if they don't think he's going to be able to do much, especially, again, for a coach and GM combination that's about to get fired if they don't fix this year. I wouldn't have any problem wasting my owner's money, even if it makes us marginally better, because, again, trying to win in the short term here. But um, something that I would probably keep an eye on, there are there's some really big-name defensive tackles and defensive ends that are hitting the market, both of which I think are from the Jaguars. They are by the name of Marcel Darius and Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe right now is looking for about $22 million. Marcel Darius, I think, is going to be in and around that same number. Now, maybe the Jaguars will keep one of these guys. They're not going to keep both, obviously. But when you look at the fact that the Lions are sitting on about $50 million and they're hemming and hawing about $15 million to Darius Slay, which, again, is only at the most going to cost them $10 million this year, probably closer to, I don't know, eight, six, seven, whatever. They obviously would have no point problem um, keeping him. However, you think about some of the big-name free agents that are probably better than him. They could go out and sign a better corner. They could certainly upgrade their defensive line. And I know some people are thinking, well, why? They've, they've already got... No. Damon Harrison, who is strictly a run defense guy, who is 31 years old, is a free agent, and I don't think they're going to resign him. Mike Daniels is a defensive tackle that is a free agent. I don't think either of those guys are getting re-signed. Ashawn Robinson is probably going to get re-signed, but they've been working on this defensive line for a long, long time. They have not had a lot of success in upgrading it, and I don't necessarily expect them to stop that. So my guess is that at least one of those two guys, the Detroit Lions, are going to take a big old swing at, and they are very talented guys. So just a thought. I'm just saying maybe. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's Corey Littleton is an option at linebacker because they need help at linebacker. They could use help at safety. They could use help at corner, if they're, especially if they're not keeping Slay. And there's also no guarantee they're, they're going, you know. It's the other thing about free agency. Derek Brown is also an option, as is quarterback. If they go out and get a corner, who's to say they won't draft Derek Brown? I don't know. There's still a lot of time left to figure that stuff out. The point is, I made a comment last year about how the Lions could be a very improved team. I think the Lions with Stafford were a lot better than people give him credit for. A lot of the reason they were as bad as they were is because Stafford was out half the year. He actually graded out and was by many different metrics, not just PFF, one of the better quarterbacks this past year. Obviously not super elite, you know, Pat Mahomes level, but he was a top 10 quarterback by a lot of different metrics. And so they take that $50 million and go out and invest in a lot of different stuff. I'm just saying, I've been a year early on a couple different predictions. We'll see what happens with the Detroit Lions. Uh, Speaking of, they already did come to an agreement with Mr. Danny Amendola, so that wide receiver group was going to stay together for a little bit. They've got a pretty good group. Obviously, they got to do something to kind of build that up because they're they're becoming a team that just has that one guy and nobody else. And this is part of the problem, right? You've only got so many avenues. You got with between free agency and the draft. There's only so many guys you can bring on. Fifty, sixty, seventy percent of those guys are going to be useless. And so when you get into a situation where you know the prudent move would be, we should probably get some wide receivers because. We, we keep paying Amendola, and we got uh, Marvin, Mr. Marvin Jones, who has been on the decline for like three years. we we got to do something to bolster this, but yet we got this problem and this problem and this problem and this problem. It just keeps getting pushed off, and this is how you get into these situations. 
to where one day you wake up and you got one guy who's already probably, what, 29, 30 years old as your number one wide receiver and you got nobody left. Which is why you see a team that doesn't seem to need wide receiver draft a wide receiver and fans flip out and go, why would you do something like that? That's why. But anyways, one-year deal for Danny Amendola. Uh, A little bit of news from Rob Domofsky, at least that's where I first saw it. And it's very nonspecific, so it doesn't super mean much at this point. But apparently, um, due to the fact that there is a Wisconsin-Notre Dame game, and then you got the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits, there's just a lot of stuff going on, plus the field's getting tore up for the Wisconsin-Notre Dame thing. Uh, Mark Murphy had asked the league if it would be possible for the Packers to be on the road for that stretch. So again, don't super know what that means because we don't know who we're playing those weeks or how that's going to impact things. But I don't super mind lobbying to have road games early, whereas last year it was good to have a bunch of home games early to kind of get into that momentum for a very young team to kind of get into the rhythm of winning. I wouldn't mind this year to have a bunch of home games at the end of the season. I'm not, you know, I'm just saying. That's really my only takeaway from that at this point, but we'll see what exactly the implications are of that later on, if we can remember this little moment in time. And finally, uh, the Athletics' Jeff Howe reports that there is a real chance the Ravens move third-year tight end Hayden Hurst this offseason. Now, the Baltimore Ravens have been loading up like tight on tight ends like nobody's business. It's kind of ridiculous how much they've loaded up. I'm talking about early draft capital. Hayden Hurst was an early pick. Uh, Max, what's his name? Max something or another. Come on, brain! Max Williams was an early round pick. Second round, I think. And then they added Mark Andrews. So that's three of the top tight ends in those specific draft classes that had gone to the Baltimore Ravens. So obviously they were extremely serious about finding uh, tight ends. Max Williams is already gone. Mark Andrews is already one of the top tight ends in football. So moving Hayden Hurst kind of makes some sense because why not? Now Hayden Hurst came into the league a little bit late. He was 25 years old when he came in. So he's a little bit older than usual, at least for a guy that's brand new to the league. He's already 26. But on the flip side, he's only 26. And he's only got a couple years under his belt. And as we know, tight ends, like a lot of other positions, sometimes it takes a little while for you to kind of get into your groove. Now, if I remember correctly, I wasn't the biggest Hayden Hurst fan, but I could be lying about that. I don't super remember being a big fan of his. But it is an option. He is 26, going on 27 this year. He's only in the third year of a rookie deal. The interesting thing about trading rookie contracts is that it kind of brings a different dynamic to that question that I answered a while ago. Um, I cannot remember the, ex- the specific player, but the question was something to the effect of what are the odds that our number 30 pick is better than such and such, fill in elite player here. With the point of that question being, how can you say that the 30th pick is better than this player when we know that there's a good chance the 30th pick doesn't pan out and we know that this player is really good. And the answer was essentially how you go about building a team. You can't build a team through free agency. There's not enough money. And if you give away all your draft picks so that you can sign proven talent, you're eventually just not going to have any talent because you have to build through the draft to have young guys coming up to replace old guys that keeps going out. If you do nothing but pay way too much for guys that are already up in age, you can't build a team. However, little bit of a different dynamic when we talk about rookie contract. Because now, and Hayden Hurst wouldn't cost a first-round pick, but let's just change the question and let's pretend instead of Hayden Hurst, it's Debo Samuel, right? Obviously, they're not trading Debo, but let's just say for whatever reason they're going to trade. The question then becomes, would you rather have your number 30 pick and whoever that is for four years 
or have Debo for three because it's not a money thing and it's not an age thing anymore. We're talking about another young guy and we're talking about still a rookie contract. So we're still kind of talking about drafting. It's just a matter of how many years you get that player for. So again, it's a different dynamic and it's it's a different question. And it becomes about renting rookies for less time. In that case, if somebody were, if for whatever reason, it turns out that Debo Samuel or uh, Terry McLaurin were getting traded. Some crazy thing happened. They're like, you know what? We're trading them. Then again, the the obvious answer in my mind would be, unless you think you can do better than Terry McLaurin or you just don't want a wide receiver with your 30 pick or whatever, of course you would trade number 30. I shouldn't say of course, but it, it, it seems like a fairly decent trade because in my mind, I think he's worth the 30th overall pick. And the security of knowing he's a good player is worth losing one year of his playability. So with Hayden Hurst, it's kind of a different question because they're going to be looking for draft compensation. I don't know how much. I'm guessing it wouldn't even be a second round pick, so maybe a third round pick. So again, I mean, at at the earliest third, it might even be later than that. I don't know because he hasn't done much and he's already up in age for a rookie, but it's still a rookie contract rental. The only difference is what is he's what is he worth? In other words, where would he be worth drafting now? And then also you have to deduct the fact that you're losing time, right? He's already been, uh, he's only got two more years left on his contract this year and next year. Plus the, uh, no, I don't think he's a first round pick. Oh, he was. So he does have a fifth year option if you wanted to do that. But then add back into the value the how sure you are. And, and, and look, to be completely honest, he had, he's played two years. If we're just looking at grades now. His rookie year was a 65.7, which is not bad for a rookie tight end. His second year was a 72.4. That's a pretty big jump. First round talent, six foot four, 245 pounds. He had 402 yards and three touchdowns, which doesn't sound like much, but remember, he's the number, I think, it, number two tight end on this team because the number one tight end basically in all of football, arguably, I mean, he's top three with Kelsey and Kittle, is also on the same team. And so, again, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. And, and when, when we talk about Brian Gutekunst having different avenues and different ways of being able to add to the team without throwing $16.5 million at a free agent like we did last year and signing four big-name free agents with for a lot of money, we've got different avenues. And this is an additional avenue, which is a rookie contract rental, which I don't think comes up all that often, but it does on occasion, and it's a different way to build out a roster. So, I mean, considering he's a first-round pick, I don't... I, Maybe it would cost like a third, which is kind of a lot. But again, you're getting somewhat of a proven talent. He is 26, which is kind of up in age, but that's kind of the age we've been signing guys. Last year, they were all 26. So it's kind of like getting those guys, but on a rookie contract. And again, it's it's a two-year rental. And actually, his overall grade, because there's not a lot of good tight ends in the league, was 11th. He was the 11th best tight end in all of football. And here's the other interesting thing. You look at Austin Hooper. He was three spots behind Austin Hooper. Austin Hooper was eighth, and he had a grade of 78.3. I know his stats are through the roof, but he's, he's on a, a team in which not only is he the, the by far the best tight end, he's one of the top receiving weapons on the entire team. Hayden Hurst, and, and, and if you look at Baltimore, they've got a guy, the number 12 overall tight end is Nick Boyle. That's a Baltimore tight end. They're so stagged. Mark Andrews is the second highest tight end. Um, he's actually graded higher than Travis Kelsey. Tyler Higby was actually third, interestingly enough. But you've basically got six guys that are really top-tier tight ends, maybe seven, I guess, depending on where you want to put the exact cutoff. But George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Tyler Higby, Travis Kelsey, Dallas Goddard, and Darren Waller. After that, you got a group of guys that are good, and there's only 17 that were graded in the 70s. Hayden Hurst was one of them in his second year. 
just looking at him as a receiver, he was graded as the eighth highest graded uh, tight end. His grade was a 79.3, so right there at about 80, which is fantastic, obviously, as a receiver. So he's a really good receiver. And guess what? Austin Hooper is one spot ahead of him, 80.5. So again, you're looking at Austin Hooper wanting $11 million. Hayden Hurst, I mean, maybe they're going to want more. Maybe they want a second-round pick. I don't know. I don't think I would want to give that up. But starting at around round three, it's kind of... It's hard to say no at that point. Uh, Even looking at blocking, his pass blocking grade, he was the sixth highest graded pass blocker in the league, 72.1, actually one spot ahead of Jimmy Graham, hilariously. It's the funny thing. Jimmy Graham's supposed to be the receiver who's terrible at blocking. He's been consistently the best blocker of all the tight ends on this team, despite Twitter going around saying, oh, he's the worst blocker. Here's a clip of him missing a block, which he does fairly regularly. But again, people are just picking out the bad stuff. You can do that with Mercedes Lewis, too. So I actually think that's a really interesting thing, and I'm kind of, I'm really talking myself into this the more I talk. It's very hard to find tight ends. We've been trying for a very long time. We keep getting these 30, 31, 40, 70-year-old tight ends who are on the back end of their career. Hayden Hurst is just breaking out, which we know Gutekunst likes. He wants to grab guys that are just starting to break out. He's only 26 years old, and if we trade for him, we're just giving up draft capital because he's on a million-dollar Let's see, the uh, the cap hit in 2020 is $3 million, and 2021, 3.5. Imagine paying like what we've been paying Mercedes Lewis, what we consider to be chump change for a tight end, for w- literally one of the top tight ends in football. Maybe that was kind of a fluke, and he's about to fall off. Maybe it was just a good fit with Baltimore. I don't know. That's up for our personnel staff to figure out. By the way, don't we have a connection with Baltimore? Don't we have a guy... And I'm not saying this is going to help us necessarily get him, but if we're curious about evaluating this guy, how about one of the guys that actually picked Hayden Hurst in the draft, Milt Hendrickson, who is one of our top guys in terms of evaluating talent right now. He's one of the big wigs in Green Bay. He spent a first-round pick on Hayden Hurst, and now Baltimore wants to get rid of Hayden Hurst. I wonder if there's anybody in that building that's going to be raising their hand going, ooh, 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 I have an idea. Hey, guys, I have a thought. And by the way, he's got a lot of pull over there. I'd be willing to bet he was the major mover in saying, guys, listen, we need Zadarius Smith. You brought me here for a reason. If you're going to listen to me on anything, we need to get Zadarius Smith. Give him the bag. You're telling me that wasn't Milt pulling those strings, pushing real hard to go get him? And now the guy that was a part, and maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was in the room saying, listen, I don't want Hurst. That's dumb. I don't want him. I don't want him. I don't want him. And then they pulled the trigger without him, and so now he doesn't want any interest. But... Again, he was a big wig over in Baltimore. It's hard to imagine he did not want very strongly Hayden Hurst. So I'm I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying this is this is a rookie contract rental for a team that really wants to build and we we listen. It it, it everything fits. Every single thing fits. What is the criteria? Every single person we grabbed was 26 years old that just had a breakout year. Hayden Hurst is 26 years old and just had a breakout year. We know this year the emphasis is going to be on receivers and helping Aaron Rodgers, which means, number one, first thought, wide receiver. Number two thought, tight end. Maybe to a much lesser degree, running back, possibly, probably not. But wide receiver and tight end, definitively. Hayden Hurst happens to be a tight end. He plays for Baltimore, which has the Milt Hendrickson connection. I hope I'm saying his name right. I keep assuming his name, and I swear I'm getting it wrong. But I think that's it. I don't know. I know it's Milt, though. What else? Oh, and Brian Gutekunst mentioned we might have to use other avenues. In other words, instead of just paying some of the best guys tons of money, we got to find other creative ways to bring guys onto this team. Oh, I don't know, like how about renting out a rookie by giving draft picks for the remainder of his rookie contract? 
every single criteria you can come up with for what the Packers are trying to do, Hayden Hurst checks every single one of those boxes. The only thing that gives me pause is that the Packers are very, very, very protective of their draft picks. And depending on what Baltimore wants, there might just be a cutoff in which they say no chance. Obviously, they're not giving up a first-round pick for him, nor should they. If they want a second-round pick, I think that's extremely risky. We need linebackers, we need wide receivers, and there's some really good ones there. You start talking about third round, though, again, I don't know that I'm super against it. That, that Even that might be a little bit high, again, considering there's only a couple years left. But who's to say this isn't a long-term deal? And again, we, we signed everybody to four-year contract. If we bring in Hayden Hurst, we've got two years plus a one-year option. That's three years. That's the exact amount of time that everybody else is getting signed to. So it also fits that criteria. Which also, you don't want too much of that to where there's a year in which the entire team collapses. But I, I don't know. I just way talked myself into that. I'm going to keep my ear to the ground on what the asking price is for Hayden Hurst. If they genuinely do decide to move on, which why wouldn't they? They're stacked with tight ends. And they have the opportunity to get more draft picks by moving one of their draft picks. Now, there are several examples of this. You know, Kelvin Benjamin was traded on his rookie deal. Now, he had burned up a lot more of his, I think he was going into the fourth year of his contract, which means they had one year plus the fifth-year option, but they got a fourth and a seventh. So, you know, you factor that all in. Kelvin Benjamin was also a first-round pick. He did have one less year, but you could argue he was more valuable considering Hayden Hurst hasn't really done a whole lot. Kelvin Benjamin at least had one good year. Now, on the flip side of that, you look at Brandon Cooks, who, you know, did get a what was worth about a first-round pick. Uh, the Patriots did get a fourth-round pick back, so they got Brandon Cooks and a fourth in exchange for their first. Obviously, we wouldn't want to give all that up, but again, if we had to ask, is this closer to Brandon Cooks or uh, Calvin Benjamin, I would say it's Calvin Benjamin. In fact, Cal- again, Calvin Benjamin is probably more valuable. The only difference, really, is that Hurst, again, has an additional year on his contract. So if we just say that that's equal value and they want a fourth and a seventh, I'm probably giving that up today. I know fourth-round picks aren't useless, but again, I mean, this is this is a borderline proven commodity. It's, it's a risk, but that's up to their personnel people to decide, is this legit? They liked him coming, I mean, Milt liked him coming out of college, and it seemed like they had a hit. I mean, as a rookie, it wasn't great, but, you know, there's a lot of tight ends that aren't super great. And he had a good year. Now, the other end of this question, then, is what about Jace? Now, there's nothing wrong with having two good tight ends, but the, the question is how much are we going to risk this? You know, last year there was a question of we've got some wide receivers that we think have the ability potentially to come up and solve, not necessarily solve completely. I don't know if they ever actually believe that, but at least not be so terrible that our wide receiver situation is just a nightmare. And that didn't super pan out. So expecting Jace to take that turn when, again, there's not that many good tight ends in the league. There's a lot of promising guys that just don't do much. I don't know that that would be that terrible. And again, if Jace does become a good tight end, we have two good tight ends, which is not a problem. Baltimore has a lot of good tight ends. The Eagles have a couple good tight ends. That's not a I mean, the Packers paid Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham and drafted a tight end. So the Packers don't have a problem with two tight ends. And if Jace does become a solid player, then good. You got Hayden Hurst for two years. You don't give him that fifth-year option. You let him walk, and Jace is your guy. And you got two guys on rookie contracts that are top 20 tight ends, top 15, top 10, whatever they end up being. This is not problematic to me. Maybe it, it, it is a factor insofar as how much compensation 
that's our fallback, right? We want Hayden Hurst, but if you're going to be unreasonable on asking price, fine, forget it. We'll roll, roll with Jace. We'll roll with Jace. Get that sentence out properly. Anyways, I, I got to sneak in a break here because it's actually time for me to stop already. So why don't we do that, and then we'll uh, turn to at least one question. We'll see how much I can uh, carry this out. We'll be right back. All right, question from Scott in the Facebook group. What is your pa- opinion of Patrick Onwusar? Be honest, never heard of the guy before. He says, with Hendrickson, I wouldn't be surprised if the Packers considered him. A year ago, he was seen as the heir apparent to Mosley, but then had a horrible year. Thoughts on a cost-effective deal? So, little bit of background. He is 27, going on 28 this year. Six foot, 227 pounds. Undrafted free agent out of Portland State in 2016. I will agree with your statement that he had a bad year this last year. Um, looking at coverage, you know, obviously the grades are not great, but just looking at, for example, NFL passer rating, again, I think of that as being less, but most people want me to point to that instead. 110.6 when targeted, which is pretty horrible. Um, he was targeted 37 times, 33 of those were caught. 90% of the time when he was in coverage and a quarterback threw his way, it was getting caught. That doesn't even include drops, by the way. Those 33 receptions went for 390 yards, which is almost 12 yards per reception, 297 yards after the cat. If we look at his grades, his overall grade was a 48. His run to friends grade was a 46. Tackling grade was a 48. Pass rush grade was a 49. Coverage was a 57. So that horrible coverage statistics I gave you, that was the best part of his game last year. Now, did he do better the year before? Technically, yes. But really... It was three years of being mediocre and then he fell off is, is the real way that this works. If he was ever going to be the heir apparent to, uh, to Mosley, I think that was just a bad plan. Again, looking at his passer rating when targeted, his rookie year doesn't super count. It was only 61 snaps. So let's look at his three years in Baltimore. 100.1, 100, and 110.6. He's never once, as a at least part-time starter or a rotational player, had a passer rating under 100 when in coverage. Um, In year two, which was 2017, he did have an admirable run defense grade of 74. However, the years following, in 2018 and 2019, 51 and 46. So in the last two years, he's been probably one of the worst guys against the run of any linebacker in football. In terms of coverage grades, it was better last year, but then it was 54 again the year before, and then 70 the year before that. So it's, it's, you know, again, year one doesn't super matter. So it was really bad, and then pretty decent, and then really bad. So I can't really point to anything that he's good at. Now, maybe this is a situation where, again, like you said, Milt Hendrickson's got some insight. He's, you know, he thinks he's ready to break out. I don't know. You could kind of point to Zadarius and say, hey, look, we didn't think Zadarius would be this good and look at. Yeah, but Zadarius at least had statistics on his side. I mean, his grades were, were, I mean, they were not bad. They were at least good. I mean, they were bad and then they became good, which is why we considered him a breakout guy. And his stats were actually phenomenal. Patrick... On Wasser, everything's just kind of terrible. I mean, to put it in perspective, again, looking at PFF grades, he was the 18th worst linebacker in all of football. So as bad as we might think some of our linebackers were, um, our worst linebacker was Blake Martinez, 41st worst linebacker. So Patrick is substantially worse in this regard. And again, if we go back to last year, which was his, his greatest achievement, He was the 62nd overall linebacker. So again, I don't understand why their plan would have ever been to give the keys to this guy. So 
you know, maybe, but I'm going to be on the record as saying I'm not for this for this move. And if we get him and he's great, then, you know, I'm just the worst. But I would be fairly comfortable in saying that this would be a not great addition. Anyways, I'd love to keep going, but um, way over time. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one, and bye-bye. <laughs>